0: Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom.
1: All right. Shabbat shalom. I'm glad all of you guys are here. Let me open in prayer, and um, then we can get right into the study here. Father Yehovah, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for another Shabbat. We thank you for your love and your kindness and your mercy that you've shown to each and every one of us. Father, we trust your report. We trust that your very words became flesh and dwelt among us. And is bringing us back to you, Father. We thank you for your Son's blood, our Messiah, and our King, Yeshua. Amen. All right. So wonderful. The same same things. We're going to um, actually start chapter two this week, and I'll just remind you the same. Oh, oh. And those online, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, and if your heart leads you, you can go to livingmessiah.com, and you can always make a donation there on our website. We, uh, we just want to thank you for being part of this, uh, for this. So, and uh, the, the regular, we do have a mic so if you have questions or comments just raise your hand we just ask be on point of what we're talking about try not to get ahead of the text so we can all learn together and try to be brief too in case there is others that would like to make comments or have questions as well so like i said we're starting chapter 2 here so remember to keep in mind that uh, the very first part of uh, chapter or, uh, the very very first part of john you know that lays the foundation and, and it's the backdrop for everything else that is all through the book of John. So, um, so where we left off last week, we discussed about uh, uh, Nathaniel's conversation with Yeshua. Yeshua's response was he was referring to Genesis twenty eight about Jacob's ladder, and we looked at that word, and it seems to be more not so much a ladder, maybe a staircase or a, like a highway, a roadway, something that you would walk uh, walk on. Um, and I, I just think that was a, a really interesting. So the and because it just a refresher with Jacob's dream referring back to Genesis twenty eight. It, um, it was about um, the heavens being open and him seeing the messengers of, of Elohim, of God, descending, ascending and descending upon it. And so, you know, the heavens being open and the, the messengers of Elohim ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So we can see Yeshua is clearly stating that he is that roadway. Okay, he is that roadway and he is the means of ascending and descending to the Father in the heavens. And I also did point out again, you know, the rejection of the Torah or the law, so to speak, um, your faith will suffer. And I think you won't. And I—it's I, my personal testimony. When I've gone back in the different walk I have now, of not saying, let's say the—you know—the Torah, the Torah, those teachings, the Old Testament—that has been done away. But I'm actually—I—I I have become completely opposite. Saying, you know what? You will not understand Messiah, Messiah Yeshua in in completeness by doing that. And that's where I say, then your faith and your belief and what you do and how you think in your life, um, it's going to lack. Let me put it that way. Maybe that's the best way to putting it. In. And I also mentioned real briefly about this idea how Messiah is associating himself of being that very means, that very highway, that cast up, that lifted up uh, uh, idea um, it also brings to mind the, the, the vision of Daniel that had the Son of Man entering the heavens, which is a very important uh, very, um, part, and part uh, uh, of Daniel's visions that he saw of one actually being able to enter in the heavens. And obviously that would not be just any general person can do that. And we see again how Yahshua is referring to himself as that. Um, and then that, uh, that idea, that word that we used here, um, or that's being used here for this ladder um, or staircase, or I think it's, it should be better understand as this highway, a lifted up roadway. Um, the verb itself is used, um, uh, I think it's the verb that's used in Jeremiah. Let me read it to you this way. And this makes a lot of sense. Uh, Jeremiah says, because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense uh, to vanity uh, or in vain or to things that are not. And they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths and to walk. Okay? To walk in paths in a way not cast up. So in Jeremiah, he's saying, okay, basically this highway that we see here in Genesis, this idea of something that's lifted up, a a way that you walk, a roadway, a path that is lifted up amongst everything else, and Jeremiah is saying, I gave you that Highway that road, the ancient path on how to walk, and you refused to walk in that. You didn't want to walk in a way that was higher than everybody else around you. That was higher than all the other peoples and all the nations. You decided to walk that low path. So we can see the connection there. So, so he Nathaniel here. uh, We talked about. What went on, possibly? And one of the suggestions, I said, maybe he was praying or interceding underneath this fig tree, okay? And that's why he quickly, think, like, uh, went from, oh, there's not what good can come from Nazareth? And all of a sudden, he meets Yeshua, and Yeshua says, "Yeah, I know you. I saw you under the fig tree, and I showed you how much uh, the uh, the fig tree was important because they looked at that as, as a blessing and abundance, and people would meet under those trees and pray and ask other people because that was what the Father said. You know, every man under his own fig tree, uh, his own vine. That was there was a completeness there. So." And it was a tradition, so I, I put forth, I suggest that's what uh, Nathaniel was doing. He was praying, and maybe something particular only he and Yahshua knew, and that's why Nathaniel so quickly went from nothing, nothing, so, nothing good really came out of Nazareth, and all of a sudden, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel, okay, because of that conversation. And I think that um, however you might view it, there was something special that went on. Now, I didn't get to go over this last week, but uh, um, I I do want to touch it this week, because he, Yeshua himself, said to uh, Nathaniel he said, you know, here, an Israelite with no deceit in him, okay? So I thought that was interesting, and what I do, try to do anything that I'm finding in the New Testament, so to speak, in this new walk I've been doing for so long. I've been going back and I've been able to find everything that Messiah talks about or refers to. It's coming from the Old Testament. He's not bringing forth any new teaching, so to speak. And or whatever he's saying and whatever he's doing, he's drawing it out that has been written before. And that is very, very powerful. And that goes along for with all the disciples as well who followed Messiah, especially Paul. You've got to track him. He's talking about certain particular things. But getting back to, you know, there's no deceit found in him. So that means Nathanael, there was something special about Nathanael. And I'm going to put forth one thing that I think was special about Nathanael, being called that by Yeshua. We would say he was Torah observant, there was no deceit found in him. That's what Yeshua was saying. And I'll back that up with this concept, okay? The servant of Yahuwah or the Most High. uh, would be without, uh, without deceit, okay? And we understand that, and this is spoken through Isaiah 53.9, a very important verse if you see what's before and after that as well. It's about a servant, but it says this, and he was appointed to the grave with the wrong and with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Now obviously that's talking about what we see Yeshua as being, but that's what he's calling a servant. And in some ways I see Yeshua as saying there is no deceit. There's no deceit in Nathaniel. So I'm coming to the conclusion Yeshua saw Nathaniel as a really good servant. Then he would be Torah observant then. He would be following the commandments of the God to the best of his ability for Yeshua to make such a comment to him. And then Yeshua turns around and says, you know, you will see the messengers ascending and descending upon me, who is the highway. And Nathaniel, he ended up following him. To me, that flows really Beautiful. And I would not know that if I didn't do some research and going back and finding these things that are in the Old Testament, for lack of better words. So Yeshua, by this point, has already been tempted in the wilderness according to the other writings, the other Gospels that we see. This is where, the you know, John, just, John is a little bit different from all the others, and that, so that's where we're in the storyline. So we've got to bring in those other things that have happened. So... He's already been baptized, uh, so to speak, and been tempted. Um, So, oh, here's something else. Nathaniel. It's a Hebrew name, obviously. And uh, I have God has given. Now, something else I pointed out, which is going to flow right into chapter 2. Do you remember where Nathaniel was from? Because you don't hear it from here. Later on, John, it does say where he's from. Cana. He was from Cana, still that section up around Nazareth, okay? It was another, I think it was like three miles away from Nazareth. So they could have known each other somewhere way or another or whatever. But why is that important? Because it just happens to be that Cana is in Galilee. And that's where chapter 2 begins, in this wedding feast in Nathaniel's hometown, where Nathaniel's from, which I think is cool. So what I plan to do is, I'm gonna read through some of this. I have a little bit of, I guess it's just like facts I'll throw out there to you. And I do have some things maybe we can discuss. And I'll say this, there is no right or wrong answer. It's more thinking about what we're reading and. And critical thinking—if this is here and this is here, then mm, could we maybe suggest this? And it may not be completely truth, but I think that's what we have to. Uh, what will happen uh, as we look at the text to look at it uh, deeper than maybe we've, because we breeze through a lot of stuff, right? I'm not the only one that grew up in church and just breeze right through stuff, right? And not take the time to say, "What did that just say?" right so so we got to put our thinking caps on and we should be able to looking at things a little bit different so and then I do have actually I do have one simple teaching that I do want to get out uh, get to after that and then if we have time go on something else and it's because I don't want to go into the I guess let me put it this way I'm getting ahead of myself in my head you know, there's all kinds of times we can look at the text and, oh, there's these deep meanings. This means this, this, this. And, and then we walk away and, cool, we know a whole bunch of stuff. And what do we do? Right? So, but I see something here that is so simple on the text that it's like, like I said, a lot of times we look for looking for treasure and we don't realize oh, it is on top the whole time. Okay, we dug all these holes and we didn't need to dig. Okay, so that's maybe what I want to go. So let's go on here in chapter 2. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Yeshua was there. And both Yeshua and his taught ones were invited to the wedding. And when they were short of wine, the mother of Yeshua said to him, They have no wine. And Yeshua says to her, Woman, <laughs> this is... This is kind of classic here to me. Woman, what is that to me and you, you know? Uh, my hour has not come yet. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he says, uh, says to you. And there were six stone uh, water jugs standing there according to the mode of cleansing or purification of the, uh, the, the Jews, uh, uh, each holding two or three measures Yeshua said to them, Fill the water jugs with water, and they filled them up uh, to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw out and take it to the master of the feast. So so they took it. So in my looking uh, in here, uh, looking at like we're going to do some of those knowledge things, you know, things you pick out. It says on the third day. Why does it say on the third day? Okay, yes, we can say, well, Messiah died and resurrection in three days or whatever. Okay, but that hasn't happened yet. So why is it important before that? What's that? Jonah. Jonah. The belly of the whale, three days. Perfect point. So we're bringing in things of that. Now, here's something else that I come across by uh, reading it. What other third day... (laughs) that is, in, uh, is a lot of things associated to. I would say with creation, right? We have one day, two day, and on the third day. John. Do you have the mic? You have the <laughs> or Oh. And there's not, with this, I'm not there's not going to be any kind of wrong answer. I just found something that I think is important that plays a part in the story itself here.
0: Truth is established by two or three, so the third day. Yes,
1: yeah. you got three witnesses, so you have that. Okay, what I found uh, looking at Genesis, if we're looking at this third day in Genesis, okay, the scribes, uh, and, and what the rabbis saw, which is clearly there, the third day, I'll read what happened on the third day, okay? Elohim said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry ground, uh, let the land appear. And it came to be so. And Elohim called the dry land earth and the collection of waters. There's that collection. That's mikvah, by the way. Remember, we looked at that. But that's see how that plays in the whole story here. Anyhow, but, in, and, um, but then it goes on the collection of waters, and he he called them seas, the collections of water. And Elohim saw that it was good. We're still on the third day here. And Elohim said, let the earth bring forth grass, plants, seeding according to its kind, which is a very awesome principle about the seed, but that's not it. Then it goes on. We're still on the third day. And the earth brought forth grass, and the plant yielded according to its kind, uh, the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself uh, to, its, uh, to its kind. Here it is again. And Elohim saw that it was good. So, two times in the third day, it was good. The other days don't have this twice, or this is the first time. So, what the rabbis or what the scribes are saying wow, third day's a blessing then. Okay? So, on the third day, a blessing, and then there's a wedding. So, yes, that will get into a lot of deep stuff that we see in the future. But on the simplest level, we just have this idea of joy and blessing is also a trademark that's in the third day. And then later on, when we get into John, we can add that to our messianic story, our messiah story as well. But for right here, uh, what we got, um, we got Mark. And I'll read you from the Old Testament why that is the case, and the association that is associated here.
0: So you're pointing out there's some customs here being followed, and yet the master and his mother are all observing and not complaining about the customs. It's even going on and talking about even the jugs of water was a custom. All customs that nobody's complaining about, everybody's keeping, but yet... Nothing's, nothing's here about a command. It's just customs are doing, and no one's having a problem with the customs.
1: Exactly. And, I, and that's how I see it, too. So, so we have this uh, third day. Thank you, Mark. This third day being a blessing. Okay. Now, here's something else that's interesting. Uh, that, um, is wine has always been a symbol of joy and blessing, too. Because that's what we do have at this wedding. And all of a sudden, they run out. So you have this idea of a third day, a blessing, the wine, joy, blessing, and they run running out. Okay? So, so this joy and blessing is a, a referenced in Psalms uh, 104, 15. And this is where that whole idea is coming from, especially with the wine in this third day. And the wine that makes glad the heart of a man, oil to make his face shine, and the bread which sustains a man's heart. So you can see the concept of being a, a blessing, the wine being a blessing, because you have it. <laughs> that means your vines didn't fail. There's no drought. You've had water. You were able to have wine. Okay? You can see the symbolism that's coming in there. Proverbs 3.9 Uh Oh, glorify or lift up Yehoah with your goods and with your first fruits of all your increase. Then your storehouses shall be filled with plenty, okay? And your vats overflow with new wine. Wow. That's pretty intense there because the extra note that's there, because you have your vats are overflowing with wine and dripping with wine in that concept. There's a connection with obedience. Because you got that... You don't have that overflow due to disobedience. You have it to obedience. Okay? So we'll talk a little bit more about wine uh, uh, towards the end here. Okay? Now it goes on. But when the master of the feast had tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew... The master of the feast uh, uh, called the bridegroom. You know what? Wait one second. I have to, I, I skipped something here that I wanted to talk about. I believe, no, I didn't. Okay. So when the master of the feast had, um, had tasted the water that had become wine, he, d- he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man um, at the beginning sets out the good wine, and and when they have drunk, then that which is poor. You have kept the good wine until now. And obviously there's some deep things here that go forward. This is the beginning of signs of Yeshua did in Cana of Galilee, and uh, manifested his glory, his esteem, and his taught ones believed in him, Mark
0: just pointing out in my text, it makes a note to say that those six water pots hold twenty five gallons each, so there's a hundred and fifty gallons of wine being made here.
1: Yes, no, that's interesting it's interesting. we're going to thank you, Mark. We're going to talk about that. so here's some of the things that uh, uh one note um, that I see in John. Verse the others. Um, and so, my, okay, a lot of people call this a miracle. I'm not saying that it's not. But I think the proper way to understand it, how John has it, it's a sign. It was the beginning of a sign, okay? And that was very, very important, okay? So he uses the sign, and it's used 17 times here in the book of John, which I think is interesting. And that is twice as often as Luke being the other one that has more. Okay? And then I think it's Matthew and Mark uh, together is still half. All right? So that's just like, okay, a trivia out there for you guys in case I might quiz you on Sukkot. But anyhow. (laughs) <laughs> so anyhow, so the author John uh, lays out this case with witnesses because a sign, if you see something, then you witness that you saw it. So you see the idea of a court case in a lot of ways is the undertone is John as well. Okay? Due to what? And you wouldn't be looking or seeing a sign if there was not hope and something to happen to see. Okay? And then... And again, in the simplest form, to know what you should be hoping for and what you should be seeing and how you should determine that. New Testament hasn't been written yet, so it all has to be in the Old. Okay? So, and then the other obvious, I think it's kind of interesting, uh, with Yeshua, okay, the good is at the end. I don't know maybe that's some simple thing that we can conclude from that now check these out these are the stone jars now these ones are from Jerusalem but they found fragments all through the Galilee area it would and most likely they would look particularly like this now the these the, the these water things were in the six uh, six uh, stone jars of water and it was for these rites of purification. Now they used uh, stone vessels, um, and this uh, in the archeology, you know, when they dug these up, they saw if they were made out of stone, especially in the Galilee era, That's where they knew they had a lot of Jewish population or those who followed the book up there. Oh, another side note that I did find that was kind of interesting, you know the time of Messiah, and I got this from various sources, and I just was watching a video last night, and this guy inadvertently said the same thing, where Messiah was, and it was a time in Galilee. Yeah, you had a lot of pagans and Roman influence everywhere else, maybe on the uh, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where he went when he threw this, you know, the spirit into the swine, right? But It seemed like in Nazareth, in that Galilee area, except from Tiberius, which was a Roman cesspool. Is that good to say, Jerry, right? Uh, At least how they viewed what was going on there, and we should too. Um, But for the most part, because a lot of uh, people had said, oh, no, there was a little paganism everywhere, but that was not so. It really was not so, and they're finding more of that, but... Where when Messiah's time, it was in a time of flux where that influence was surely coming in. That's why you had a lot of revolts that were up in Nazareth and against the Romans and stuff like that. Um, You know, there might have been a lot of it due to taxes, but a lot of it was just we don't want to live your lifestyle, too. So you had that going on as well. So it was a time of flux. So a lot of the stuff that they find today, when I was in Bethsaida uh, four years ago, we saw they had pagan things, but that wouldn't have been there from my understanding at the time of when Messiah was there, okay, because those communities wasn't saturated with that. Only later on did that move in, okay, so that gives you an idea. So these stone vessels, back to the stone vessels, why the, uh, uh, the Udim or the Jews used stone vessels? Because... Um, you didn't have to break them. You could use them over and over again and they'd still be pure because they were made out of stone. Other things, uh, no, one-time use and you were done with it because you could not use that because it became unclean, so to speak. And we saw that when we went and saw where the tabernacle was set up. There was pottery shards all over the ground and we brought some home because when you took something to the most high, okay, you can't use it for anything else after that. Because it becomes, you don't want to make it common, so you'd break the vessel there. Because of what you brought to the Most High, it's kind of neat. Well, I mean, I don't see that we could do that with our china today. But you know, the wife's not going to like that. We used it once, you know. What I mean, but there is that tradition. It is with the Greeks, don't they do bust? I don't know. It might be something different. But but that was the reason behind, and that's why they could trace it because of these stone vessels. So. So they were found all around the Galilee area, um, and I won't get into too much more about that. So that gives you a visual of what these vessels were. So on that, um, and then we're back to this whole day on this third day and these things are happening. So here's where I want, I've got some questions for you. Did his mother realize he was the Messiah at this point? Or maybe any point, I don't know. Or just did his mother know he was a super prophet of some sort? Okay? And why I'm asking that, because he, she, well, I mean, I guess you could look, his mother turns to her, her son, do something about it, okay? Get some more wine, they're out of wine. Okay, that's basic. But like Mark said, that's 150-some gallons. Yeah, where's he going to turn that up at? Okay, any reasonable mother would know that You could not do that, okay? So is there something that she saw through her son through the years that has not been recorded that we have, that she knew there was something special? Maybe not knowing that he was the son of God, that type of thing. But why would she say, And his response, my time has not come yet, all right? So if there was not any, that's what I'm saying. Was there something that she knew In some ways, even just being a wonderful, uh, an awesome prophet that she watched the things that he had said have come true. I don't know.
0: Mark. So there's two things she would have known by testimony. One would be the angel telling her that her son, name him this name because he's going to save his people. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is when they're bringing him out from circumcision on the eighth day, Simeon says, my eyes have beheld the, the salvation yeah. of God. So these things, you know, you would think, and I'm sure it wasn't just those two, but those are two that I'm off the top of my head re- remember being recorded as testimonies as to who and what their son was going to become.
1: So, no, and so think about that. That's, you know, that is just a thought thing, uh, uh, something I was thinking about. Was it a mere simple thing, you know, like, any mother would ask the son, oh, they're out here. Go down to the store and, you know, pick up a couple gallons of milk or get another cookie cake or something like because they're, they're out. Was there something more here? I'd say she knew from when he was a young child, he was lost for, I think it was three days, and they couldn't find him. And he says, didn't you know I have to be about my father's work? Yes. No, so I, I, uh, I do think there was something special about him that the mother knew to go to such an extent. And I think, to me, one of the big things, like Mark was saying, and I'd the various numbers, but they're all uh, pretty much the same, okay? Because um, well, I, I, I have here, well, was she expecting him to go and buy more wine? Between 108 and 162 gallons. Where were they going to get that? Do you, you, you know what I mean? And, or did you, just to get a bo, one bottle of wine? Because obviously there must have been a lot of people at this wedding, right? For him to turn all six. Or was he just trying to be overly, you know, abundant? Or... It's just reasonable any of us would sit, you know, if you've been, especially with us who get water for the community here, okay, we know X amount of people, we need X amount of gallons, you know what I mean? So you can gauge how much you'd need by the people there. I don't see him going so extremely overboard when they only needed a gallon because there was only 12 people there at the wedding, you know, I don't see that mark.
0: And this is the wine at the end of the party. That, exactly. So they've so already would, consumed uh, who knows how many uh, No, gallons see, that's, that's a very good point. That's already. a very good point. So this is the stuff at the end of the party. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how many gallons were at the beginning at the start. Mm-hmm. But uh, it also, you, you touched on something I was thinking about, too. It's obviously a, a big a group of people. But it appears to be that his mother's the one putting the party on because she's ordering the servants and they're obeying what she says to do.
1: That's, a, that's an interesting point, Mark, because I did see that. So either she was part of it uh, or, or she was very close to the family that it was to do such a task to tell the servants, you, you, you know, to go do this or do that. So, she, no, one way or the other, Mark, I do agree. She had to have some kind of pull. You know she wasn't just a wedding guest that comes in and demands all the servants and the caters to do that you you don't you'd have to be someone that knew the family or some kind of authority that you had to do that yes
0: well you know uh i have to say there ralphie do you really think your mother doesn't know you she knows each one of the kids like like yes like i wouldn't as a father she would as a mother yeah. Moms, they don't have to like their kids, but they know
1: No, exactly. So, 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 actually, I got this, and this could be very well. So, Yahshua made nearly 1,000 bottles of wine that day, okay? <laughs> so, if you take that guesstimate and put it in bottles, that's how much. So, it, was a, it had to be a very big wedding, okay? Okay. Um, and I would imagine, like, when he did feed the 5,000, there would have been some left over, because we see that's his character, so to speak, okay? But not, you know, to such extremes. Mark.
0: I uh, This is having a little fun with what we're seeing in the narrative, and that is, so I see, you know, we, we, we know that uh, it, uh, his mother had some kind of um, Bloodline tied to the Levites because of you know. That very well so, you know, I could So I can see Yeshua saying, "Yeah, Mom, I know your side of the family. How they like their wine? Okay, I'll make 150 gallons for all you guys."
1: Yeah, no. So so this so it gives you maybe an idea how big this wedding was then, as possible that it was. You know, uh, Jerry. Um, I just wanted
0: to add this little kind of a personal note. It was over 30 years ago that jane and i took our first trip to israel and we weren't walking this way yet but we had a really nice you know antinomian christian pastor and we were running around you know seeing everything there is to see in israel and we were in cana and he thought it would be a great idea for those of us that wanted to to get our renew our wedding vows in cana and so he stopped the bus by the side of the road where there was this these you know israelis lived and he went in and he knocked on the door and he said he had a pretty patio you know, and says, could we get married here? You know, could we marry some people on your patio? And, oh, they were honored to do this. And the next thing I knew, the guy was talking to his wife. Quick, quick, get in the car and run over and buy some stuff to drink. Ah. And I just happened to think about that's that with your story. There,
1: I'm just uh, thinking in my head, you know, uh, honestly, uh, you know, it might have been a family, you know, maybe Jews that don't see Messiah the same way we do, but they're like, hey, that's a good story because it's bringing us people to- <laughs> to come and just hang out in our town. So, no, that's awesome. So, but, okay, so what I, what I do want to get to, and I do have time, I believe, is that surface thing that I saw here that I want to share with you. And it's, it's, it's as simple as this. Yeshua respects and honors his mother. All right? So however you might see it, all right, because he says, okay, what's this? Here, mom, you know it's not my time to do that, okay, or whatever. He still honors her in such a way and listens. And yes, you could jump real quick in your the- with however you think. The son of God, all right, from up there, obeys the simple thing from the mother, within reason, obviously, all right? okay. Because right. Yeshua knows who he is. I'm thinking he's, he knows his, what his mission is by this point, however you want to look at it. He, said, you know, he just says, Mom, no, that's not my time yet. But he continues and respects and honors his mother. So that's what I want to talk about, respect and honoring of parents. Like I said, it's right on the surface level, isn't it? Exodus 12. 2012, respect or honor your father and your mother so that your days are prolonged upon the soil which Yahweh your Elohim, is giving you. Then Deuteronomy, it repeats again, and there's a little bit more added to it. Respect and honor your mother, your father and your mother as Yahuwah, your Elohim, has what commanded you so that your days are prolonged, and so that it may go well with you in the soil, in the land which Yahweh your Elohim, is giving you. It gets pretty heavy there. Oh, and by the way, I'm not just talking about little kids, because we all have mothers and fathers. doesn't matter what age that you are. You, you know, if you still have parents... That are with us. Still a commandment. Exodus has, repeats it again uh, in some ways to show you uh, what I want to show you is how important this is. And let me paraphr- uh, let me say this. You know, back east, growing up back east, I honestly can say that I knew kids that did not honor their mother and father. And you know what? It ain't going well with them where they're at. Okay? And it doesn't mean that they have to be believers. I think this is just a general statement for just humanity in general. Okay? Then it goes on, Exodus 21, 15 and 17. Okay? And he who smites or strikes his father or his mother shall certainly be put to death. That's how important it is to the Almighty. And yes, you can throw in there. There's an idea of authority structure clearly that's there. And he who curses his father or his mother shall certainly be put to death. Then it goes on. Leviticus has this. Leviticus 19 to speak to all the congregation, all the children, all the people who call themselves Israel, call themselves from the book. And say to them, be set apart, be different, be holy, be set apart. Don't be like the rest of the nations and the peoples. For I am your God, I am your Elohim, and I am set apart. I'm different from all that. That's why I'm doing this to show you, right? Each one of you should fear his mother and his father and guard my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh your Elohim. I just thought that was interesting. Here, he is, and granted, this might be another deeper study. Is there something with guarding and honoring your mother and your father related to his Sabbath? His, not just the Sabbath day, but all the feasts. Is this like, because I, maybe it's one of these things. I can remember my mom dragging me to Sunday school. Didn't like it, but I had to go. Sometimes I didn't like it. Sometimes I did. You know, you know, it depends. You had that mood, you know, or whatever. But I had to go, you know. So, in just that simplicity of listening to my mother and my father going those days, okay? I don't know. That could be something much deeper. So, Proverbs 1.8 eight. So we're going to get to the wisdom from whatever has been written in the Torah and the wisdom coming through someone, obviously from the Most High too. My son, let's just say my children, heed the discipline of your father and do not forsake the Torah of your mother. For they are a a fair wreath on your head and chains about your neck. It's interesting. It's something that you wear. All right. And then the Torah of your mother, the teachings of your mother. But remember, you know, man and woman, when they come together, they are what? They're one flesh. So I would say don't forsake what your father says or his teachings or what he says. Because if we're to understand this as becoming as one flesh, then we have to view it that way as well. Then it goes on Proverbs, my son. Which, oh, um, my son, watch over your father's command and do not forsake the Torah of your mother again. Bind them on your heart always. (laughs) That means that they have to be within your being and who you are, how you think, what you do. Okay? Tie them around your neck. They got to be with you. Okay? There's nothing about take them off. Tie them there. And it sounds like leave them there. Jan,
0: I was going to say something in the first proverb there, one eight, um, but I chose not to. But when it was
1: mentioned again in Proverbs six twenty, I had to say something. Um, it says, "Do not forsake the Torah of your mother." Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing that's rich about the mother is that's the heredity uh, evaluation from generation. generation. And here it tells me the Torah of your mother. That's what he's going to take in the next generation is not just his mother's genealogy, which is the way that works in Israel, but he's also going to take the Torah of his mother with him. No, excellent. No, I see. Thank you, Jan. And here's something else to uh, think about that. You know, the commandments of the father, Okay, and if the ruach, if the spirit is feminine, all okay, right, is that the mother? So take those commandments that are written down and take the spirit, the teachings on, and how to take both them as one, because they're both your parents, so to speak, and walk that out in your life, you know? So let's go on. I have one more, and then we have to close here. Proverbs twenty twenty: Whoever curses his father or his mother His lamp is put out in deep darkness. Yes, Mark said, ouch. Seems like the Proverbs, the wisdom's coming to the same understanding that the commandments said in the ten big words, right? Well, I don't think it's too far stretched since we've read Matthew already, this idea of deep darkness. Matthew 25, 29, and this is coming right back to the idea of a servant. Okay? And this is from the idea where he saw the Roman was able to be obedient and understand authority. And Messiah was complaining about those who should have known better, who should be servants. Okay? For to everyone who possesses more shall be given, and he who and and he shall have overflowing. Oh, that's abundance again. That began with the wine in the third day and isn't that but from him who does not possess even that uh, what he uh, what he possesses shall be taken away and here's the kicker and throw that worthless servant out into where utter darkness deep darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth so obey your mother and father so it may go well with you, whatever land you dwell. Thank you for being here today. Those online, thank you again. Let me close in prayer. Father Yehovah, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your spirit that empowers us to overcome all things that are before us. We thank you again. And in the name of your son, Yeshua, our Messiah, King, amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Thank you. It's an honor uh, being here with you today. And those online uh, will be back for the big service uh, in about 45 minutes, I think. Shalom. Shabbat shalom.